If you have a Bible with you this morning, or you can grab a Bible in the pew rack in front of you, open that Bible app, but join me, if you will, in James chapter 1. James chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. Now, I've got a confession to make today. I'm, uh, I've always been kind of fascinated by celebrities. Now, that might sound a little bit uh, strange, but I've always been interested in what's going on in the lives of famous people. And I think that some of the interest that has uh, that I've had over the years has been sparked by running into a number of famous people, particularly athletes here in Chicago. Years ago, I remember uh, I was downtown Michigan Avenue. I was doing some shopping. I mean, I wasn't really buying anything. I was just uh, kind of walking around looking at things. But I was walking out of a building, and just before I got to the door, there were like four or five people who walked in through the same door that I was going to be walking out of, and one of them was Tyson Chandler. Now, we've got a picture of him that we're going to put on the screen, but for those of you who don't really follow sports or maybe don't know who Tyson Chandler was... He, is a, uh, he, he was a, a, a basketball player. He played for the Chicago Bulls in the early 2000s. He was huge. He was seven feet tall. I, I mean, even in this picture here, you can see that he's just towering over the people around him. And I felt like I was a little kid beside him. Well, uh, about a year after that, I found myself walking down the street just about a block and a half away from Moody, where I was going to school at the time. And, I walk, and walking right towards me was Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, two of the biggest names in NBA basketball history, legends in the 1980s when I was a kid. We've got a picture of them as well, but I, I couldn't believe how close I was to them, and I felt like I just needed to say something. But what was I going to say? Well, I, I, I kept, uh, we kept getting closer and closer, and... The big moment came for me to actually say something, and I looked at them, and I made this very profound statement, the most profound thing that I could possibly think of. I said, hey, (laughs) that's all I could say. That's all I could think of is, hey, and they nodded back at me, and we just kept walking both in our own directions, but, you know, I think of each of those experiences along with a number of others as well. And those things have made me curious about celebrities, about famous people. What, what is it like to be them? What is it like to go out in public and have everyone notice everything about you? Now, I, I know that I'm not alone in this. In fact, there is a whole industry built around this. There is a whole TV show, a blog, a magazine called TMZ, and it seems to be the first on the scene at every major event in the celebrity world. They literally exist to exploit the lives of famous people. TMZ, it's no small company, 55 million people visit their website each month, and 55 million people that is. And a hundred and hundreds of thousands of people tune in on TV to watch their show every night. What do they do? Well, literally, they follow celebrities around and they're looking for one thing. What is that one thing? Well, they want to see when celebrities are going to mess up. There's always something going down in the news, a new scandal, a new addiction, a new affair, something going down in the news, and TMZ is on the scene in order to show us all the juicy details. 
What's interesting to me is that when things like this happen in the celebrity world, my mind starts racing. I wonder, uh, maybe you do too, but I wonder, how could they do something like that, right? I mean, you've got all of this money, you've got all of this fame, all of the cars, all the houses, and yet you still messed up. And when we say those things, a lot of times what we mean is, You know, if I were in that same situation, if I were in your position, I would never have done that. But as we need, but we need to be careful about this. Uh, We need to be careful about thinking that way, because that statement in and of itself is the beginning of a very dangerous road. We're going to be looking today at God's word in the book of James, and we want to see, we're going to look at these things see, that we see all over the news, and don't, we don't want to just, we're going to see that they don't just show up. These things don't show up just one day in our lives. But it, it appears, it doesn't just appear out of the blue, but it appears over a process. And specifically, we want to see what the root of all of these things are, where they all begin. And we need to do that in order to not find ourselves in these same situations. Again, we're in James chapter 1. We're going to focus in on verses 13 through 18. We'll put these words up on the screen as well. You can follow along in your copy of God's word. But here is what it says. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, uh, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creation. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are saying, Jason, didn't we look at these verses last week? And we did. But last week, we focused in on the differences between trials and temptations because the opening section of James chapter 1 talks a lot about the differences between these two things. And we just wanted to make sure that there was clarity about that. But this week, we want to focus a little bit more on specifically what it means to deal with temptation. Now, I know that maybe you didn't come to church today thinking, I just can't wait to hear a sermon on temptation. But what I've been praying for over the last number of days is that God might use this to set some people free today who feel like it's just impossible to resist the temptations of this world. Listen, I know that the struggle is real, that we can feel trapped, that we can feel in bondage to temptation and to sin. But God really wants us to experience his freedom today. And so... From this passage, we want to look at four ways to deal with temptation. Four ways to deal with temptation. The first one is just this, and really it's kind of a recap of last week. But in order to deal with temptation, we have to recognize it for what it is and what it isn't. We have to recognize temptation for what it is and what it isn't. Last week, uh, I gave a definition for temptation. We're going to put this on the screen again this morning. But temptations 
are opportunities to choose something other than God. Temptations are opportunities to choose something other than God. And as we think about what temptation is and what temptation is not, I think it's helpful for us to look at this in two categories, two groups. Uh, first, we, you, you need to know that temptation is experienced by everyone. Temptation is experienced by everyone. We know this because even if you know the story of Jesus, right before he begins his public ministry, you can read about it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But the Bible says that Jesus went out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was tempted. That even God himself took on flesh, came to this earth, and he was tempted. The reality is that if you live in this world, you will be tempted as well. Because this world is broken and temptation is a very real part of this world. In fact, there is, a, is consistently every day opportunities for you and for me to choose something other than God. So temptation is experienced by everybody. But here's a second very important truth. Temptation is not sin. Temptation is not sin. We know this because Jesus Christ was without sin. He was tempted out in the wilderness, but he didn't sin. The question is, well, how can we combat that temptation? Because we see it in the life of Jesus, and Jesus gives us an example to follow. Jesus could have, could have just told the enemy to get lost, but instead he gives us an example to follow. Every time that Jesus is tempted by the enemy, he responds with God's word, which is an example for us. Because when we face temptation, we, we, we don't just fight it in our own strength. We follow Jesus' example and we combat temptation with the word of God. And, and listen, resistance is possible. You and I can resist temptation. Temptation is experienced by everybody, but temptation in and of itself is not sin. It is an opportunity to sin, but it's not sin. Again, we, we talked about this last week, and I think it's really important to, to know that temptation is not from God. God can be the source of our trials, that there are times when God allows trials to come into our lives, but he is never the source of our temptation. In fact... That's what verse 13 says, that God himself tempts no one. And Satan is a liar when he says that God is putting this thing in front of you in order to tempt you. The word of God says, no, he does not tempt you. So temptation is not from God, but here is the reality. Temptation is used by God. Temptation is used by God. And this is an important truth to know how, how uh, you know, if, if you've ever been through a, a time in your life where you failed, where you've messed up, this is important to know. Listen, the fact is that we've all failed, we've all messed up, we've all sinned. And yet in the midst of that, God can work in our failure. God can work in our messiness. And the Bible says that God's grace is sufficient for us. That he has provided exactly what it is that we need. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Friends, there are some of us who need to hear that today. 
because it doesn't matter where, what, you've, uh, what you're in the midst of. God can meet you right where you are, and he can turn it around for good. I mean, maybe you're here today and you're just crushing it in every area of your life. God can use that for good. Maybe you failed over and over and over again for years. God can use that for good. Maybe you're here this morning and things are just amazing that you're walking in his ways. You're uh, doing what he says. You're praising his name and God is using that for good. Or maybe you're here this morning and you failed big time. You gave into temptation. You're here today and you're wondering if there is anything that God has left for you. Well, the Bible says that God can turn that around in your life for good. And maybe, just maybe, that is the thing that you needed to hear today. And so in order to deal with temptation, we have to recognize it for what it is and what it isn't. But secondly, we have to take responsibility for temptation. We have to take responsibility for temptation. Last week we talked about three sources of temptation as revealed to us in God's word. And I just want to go back and kind of briefly touch on those things. Three sources of the lie of temptation. One of those is the world. I I don't have to tell you that we live in a broken and messed up world and that the system of this world will tempt us to sin. Another of those things is Satan. We have a very real enemy and he exists to tempt us. In fact, the Bible says he is a liar and the father of lies. That he is the source of our temptation. There's a third source that we don't like to talk about a whole lot, which is the man or the woman in the mirror. My heart, your heart will lie to you. I saw a coffee mug the other day that said, follow your heart. And I wanted to just buy it and bring it in here and smash it on the ground because that's crazy, right? You see people post on social media, just believe in yourself. Here's another one. Find your truth. Your truth? I mean, there is the truth. But what do you mean by your truth? Even as followers of Jesus, we think that these are, this is such great advice because we live in a self-care, self-love, self-help world where we, we just think that we are awesome. But do, do you hear what the Bible says in James chapter 1 and verse 14? It says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed, not by the world, not by the devil. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. That we are carried away and we are enticed by our own sinful hearts and what we want. Which is hard for us to understand, especially in a culture like the one that we live in today. We want to blame somebody else for everything. Let's just be honest. We are natural blame shifters. I'm not going to take the blame for this. And this is actually part of the ancient story that goes back, way, way back, all the way back to the Garden of Eden when our great, 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 great grandparents, Adam and Eve, were involved in this. I mean, most of us know the story. Adam and Eve, they're placed in this perfect garden, and they have perfect harmony with God. God gives them this one command, and he says... Don't eat of the fruit of this one tree in the garden because when you do, you will surely die. It will mess you up. Well, 
as the story goes, the serpent tempts Eve. She eats the fruit, gives some to her husband. He eats it. They realize that they're naked. They feel ashamed. Sin enters the world. Now, there's a lot there, and I'd encourage you to go back and read it for yourself. But sin enters into the world. And in Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 9, here's what we read. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he, Adam, said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He, God, said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Now listen to this, verse 12. The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. I mean, both Adam and Eve were quick to point the finger. Listen, it wasn't my fault. And we sit here thinking, I can't believe that they did that. But fast forward few thousand years and you and I are doing the exact same thing. I mean, taking responsibility is something like a cultural sin today in our culture. Nobody wants to do it. The politician's wrong. The person's wrong. That, that, that news anchor's wrong. Every person who disagrees with us on Facebook, every crazy comment on Instagram, the people in our workplace, the people at home, the people at church. Listen, it's not my fault. And if you are a parent of kids, you know how real this is. Well, you know, we've got a playroom that's just off of our kitchen and our dining room on the one side of our house. And we don't have a lot of toys like they did, like the kids did when they were a lot younger. But it's amazing to me just how much stuff we have in that room. And I don't even go into that room very often because I just can't handle it. It feels like a bomb has gone off in there. And when I say, hey, kids, what happened in here? They just look around at each other and they shrug their shoulders and they say, I don't know. It wasn't me. And my response is, oh, no, some random stranger must have come in here and tore this house all apart when I was gone. That they just threw trash all over the floor and they neatly folded clothes and organized shoes are just strewed out all over the place, left out crayons and markers and remotes and Xbox controllers and dirty dishes. I feel like I'm having this conversation frequently in our home. But, you know, as I was sitting down this week and preparing for this sermon, I found myself convicted because the reality is, is that I do the exact same thing. And it might not look the same. I mean, it's not a messy house. And, but, but, but what about that messy heart of mine that I often struggle to take responsibility for? I mean, it looks a little bit different, but really, it's the exact same struggle. I hear these comments, these common excuses all the time. Everyone else is doing it. <laughs> I mean, that's basically what Adam did, right? Uh, It's interesting to me that he and Eve are the only two people. They they were everyone, but everyone, everyone else is doing it. Or how about this one? The devil made me do it. That's exactly what Eve said. The devil made me do that. Well... What, does, what James does is he cuts right through all the cultural things here. And um, 
the, the cultural things that tell us that we're awesome and we need to be, feel like we're awesome all the time. And he says, listen, you and I are tempted by our own sinfulness. Charles Spurgeon, great uh, pastor, preacher from uh, many years ago, he said something about this. And I just love this statement. We're going to put it on the screen. But Charles Spurgeon said this, beware of no man more than yourself. We carry our worst enemies within us. Beware of no man more than yourself. We carry the worst enemies within us. Here's the truth. Jason Kreider is his own worst enemy. I can try to blame everyone else around me, but as I'm trying to resist temptation, the fact is that most of it is coming from me. In fact, the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, he said it this way. He said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I mean, have you ever had a moment where you've thought to yourself, man, I can't, I, I can't be that bad. And then something comes across your mind and you think, wow, I can't believe that I actually thought that. Friends, it is hard to, to comprehend just how deceitful our hearts really are. And here's the hardest part of it all. As we wrestle with our hearts and our flesh, we have to understand that no one talks to us more than we do. And I'm not talking about walking around like a crazy person talking to yourself. I'm talking about your thought life. Nobody talks to you more than you. There's a recent study from Queen's University in Canada. There's a group of psychologists that got together. They studied this and they suggested that every human being has over 6,000 thoughts a day. And do you know what that is? That's 6,000 opportunities every single day to be lured away and enticed by our own sinfulness. Listen, in order to deal with temptation, we can't just shift the blame onto someone or something else. And I think it's actually good to get to the point of recognizing just how sinful we are because it helps us to be more desperate for Jesus Christ and his work in our lives. When I see how bad I am and I see how good Christ is, it gets me on my face before him every day. And I'm not trying to pretend as if I'm some amazing person because I know that I'm not. I know that apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, I'm in huge trouble. And so every day I'm getting in God's word and I'm saying, hey, uh, can you help me be a better husband today? Help me be a better father today, a better pastor, a better citizen in your kingdom because I need you. When we understand how bad things really are, it drives us to the one who is good. And so we, we need to take responsibility when it comes to temptation. We, we can't just keep shifting the blame because that, that never really deals with the real problem. And here is the third thing in order to deal with temptation. We have to realize how, uh, realize how temptation works and where it leads. We, we need to realize how temptation works and where it leads. Look at verses 14 and 15 again. James says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Friends, often we see sin as a single act. 
I was tempted and I messed up. We see sin as a single act, but God's showing us here in James that this is a process. Let me explain what I mean. I've, never, I've been at a lot of weddings I, in my lifetime. I have officiated a number of weddings as well. But I've never seen anybody stand up on the platform on one of the best days of their lives, on one of the happiest days of their life. And before the vows are being said, that they have their divorce lawyer on speed dial. Nobody does that. Because nobody thinks, hey, tomorrow I'm going to be wanting to get a divorce here. Why? Because it is a process. It is not a single act. Nobody takes that one sip at a party, that one drink at a party, and starts planning out what AA meetings they're going to start attending when they realize that they're addicted. It's not a single act. It is a process. That affair that started on Facebook or Instagram probably did not start out as a full-blown affair. It probably started out as a friend request or a like or a follow, and it quickly became secretive and sinful. What James is saying here is that we see sin as a single act. God sees it as a process. Let me show you this process that James lays out for us here, and we're going to try to put this on the screen as well. But first, temptation starts with desire. Temptation starts with desire. And let's just be clear here. Desire in and of itself is not a bad thing. I mean, after church today, I'm probably going to feel very hungry, and um, I'm going to want some lunch. My desire is going to be to eat something. That's not a bad thing. But... If I am constantly worshiping food and constantly thinking about food and constantly eating food, that is gluttony. That is a sin. So having a desire for food isn't a bad thing, but gluttony is a sin. Later on tonight, I I hope that I get a good night's rest. I mean, God has uh, created, made our bodies in a way that we need sleep. Sleep is a great desire to have, but laziness is a sin. So temptation starts with desire, but secondly, it continues with deception. It continues on with deception. James talks about being lured and enticed, which is the image of a fisherman and the way that he tries to attract and catch a fish. Now, I grew up on a farm. I grew up out in the country, and yet I don't know a whole lot about fishing. I didn't spend a whole lot of time fishing when I was growing up. I know that there are these different poles and these, these different lures, but that's about it. And so this week, I decided that I would do a little bit of a research project. I, I decided to go on a research trip to Cabela's out in Hammond, Indiana. Now, I, I know that some of you just love Cabela's, and um, yet I haven't been there in probably 15 years. And so I I get to this store and I go inside and I'm thinking that I'm going to find like four or five aisles of fishing gear. But instead, there there were probably 50 aisles of fishing stuff. Now, I I picked up something um, uh, here for myself here. It was this one of these little fishing lures. And and I know that it's probably hard to see this thing very well, but but, but I'm, I'm trying not to get myself stuck here by these hooks. And uh, this little guy right here, he looks really good, right? And, and, and I want you to just picture this for a moment. 
I mean, you are a big fish. You are a big bass, or maybe you're a trout, and you're just kind of swimming in the river here. And you're getting very, very hungry. And out of nowhere, this little thing here just plops down right out in front of you. It is bright. It is shiny. It is colorful. And you are a hungry fish. And as a hungry fish, you think, wow, I just hit the jackpot. I'm going to have this buffet. And I'm going to be able to brag to all my fish friends about how amazing this meal that I had was. This is the image that James gives us here of being, a, of being lured and enticed away. Well, this big fish, it comes along with its big fish mouth and it chomps down on this thing and it thinks that it's going to have this amazing meal. But what it doesn't see are these three-pronged hooks, these three-pronged death hooks right down here. You see, that fish saw something that looked good. It looked satisfying. It seemed to be exactly what it needed, but he wasn't able to look past the bait in order to see the hooks that were going to kill him. Listen, nobody approaches these things and says, man, I just can't wait to end up as the fisherman's dinner on the dinner plate tonight. No, the fish is just trying to go out and, and he sees this thing that looks so good and he gets hooked when he bites it. This is true in our lives too. You know, some of us are chasing things that look so good. They look everything like what it is that we need and want in life. And we try to blame the devil and we try to blame the world. But the reality is, is that our own sinfulness leads us to think that we need that thing or we want that thing. And it brings, it's going to somehow bring us satisfaction in life. But as soon as we bite onto that thing, the hook is going to get us. And, and, and um, we, we've, it's going to be very deceiving. That, that thing is not what it is promised to be. It is a bait it is a lure. So there's desire and then there is deception. Third, it results in disobedience. And we talked about this when we, we take the bait, we grab a hold of it. What, what starts out in our, in our sinful hearts takes root in our minds and it comes out in our lives, whether it's in our words or in our thought life or in our actions. In James chapter 1 and verse 15, the Bible says that this ends in death. It ends in death. It may take days, maybe even months, maybe even years, but at the end, the result is of giving into temptation, the Bible says, is death. Now, you read that, and if you're anything like me, you might think, well, you know, that seems to be a little bit intense. I mean, let's be honest. I've bit into some things. I've given into temptation a few times, and I'm still alive. So what does he mean by death? Well, maybe it's not physical death, although it could be. But, but maybe it, it, for you it's a, the death of a relationship. Or maybe it's even the death of trust within a relationship. Maybe it's death of your integrity because you bit into something that you had no business biting into and death came. And, and now you have to try to rebuild that integrity. You think, 
Oh, I, I mean, it's just a little taste. It's just a little flirtation. It's no big deal. Maybe you've even said, um, you know, I, I'm not hurting anyone. I mean, no one's even going to know about this. Listen, we say those things because we don't realize how sin is really a big deal. We, we don't take the Bible seriously. Friends, we, we need to take God at his word because if you bite into that, it leads to death. It leads to brokenness. It leads to separation from God, which is why James says in the very next verse, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. We're, we're so easily deceived. We, we look at this little lure and we think, I mean, what's wrong with that fish? It so easily got tripped. But we're not all that different. We, we see little tiny, shiny things in our own lives. And if we're not careful, they're going to draw us in and they will hook us and they will bring about death. So what can we do? Well, we need to recognize the temptation for what it is. It's a lie. It won't satisfy. It, 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 it won't make us happy. It is a broken cistern that will leave us empty and unfulfilled, and we need to take responsibility for it. We need to recognize how it works and where it is that it leads. Here's the last thing. When, when it comes to dealing with temptation, we have to remember who our God is. We, we have to remember who our God is. I love this. James goes really deep into some pretty bad stuff. And then in verse 17, he shifts the focus for us here. He shifts the focus from us, from our junk, and onto our good and holy and awesome God. Look at verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He says, remember that in the midst of you deceiving yourself, in the midst of you tempting yourself, in the midst of all of the junk around you, fix your eyes on the one who never changes. Fix your eyes on the only perfect, powerful, grace-giving God who gives only good gifts to his children. Friends, this reminds us that we don't fight temptation in our own strength. No, we look to God, and as we fight off temptation, we resist sin. We can do this in the power of his work, alive and well and working in us. I want to close this morning by giving you an illustration. Talked about my kids uh, a little bit earlier, but, you know, one of the things that's been really nice uh, about our kids growing up is that we can leave them by themselves at times, and we don't have to really worry about it. I mean, we don't leave them overnight by themselves, but on occasion, Sue and I will go out to the store together, or maybe we'll go out on a date together, and, and we're not gone for a really long time, maybe an hour or two, but... Um, you, you know, we, we leave them by themselves at home, and they have proved that they've been very responsible when we are gone. I, I mean, um, when you can get out of the house without your kids on an occasion, I mean, that's a win, right? Well, we have this uh, cell phone at home. We call it the house phone, and the younger kids kind of share it. And uh, whenever they need to make a phone call, they can use the house phone to do that. And and any time that they're at home by themselves, Sue and I have told them, listen, we don't care what happens. 
If the doorbell rings, don't answer the door. I mean, we get Amazon packages all the time. There, there are times when the mail lady will ring the doorbell. And, you know, we've told the kids, look, we, we don't care if you know the person's name. Don't answer the door. In fact, here is what we want you to do. If the doorbell rings and you think that maybe you should answer that doorbell, well, you go first to the house phone and you call mom and dad. We just want to make sure that you're good. We want to make sure that everything's okay, that you're safe. And so that's actually happened a few times where the doorbell rings and Sue and I aren't there. And so the kids don't answer the door first. Instead, they go to the home phone, the house phone, and they call us first. And, and you know, as I think about that, I think that this is a good picture for our own lives. That you and I are constantly getting knocks at our door. Constant knocks of temptation. Constant knocks to, to, to go to some place where we have no business going. Constant knocks to go and sin and to do things that would bring death into our lives. And I've done it and you've done it where we've just walked over, we've opened up the door and we've said, hey, come on in. And we've welcomed in some harmful and dangerous thing into our lives. Well, maybe, just maybe, we need to take some advice from the Kreider kids today. And instead of just going and opening the door, the first thing that we should do is to go the other way. And we should grab the phone, which is prayer, And we should call out to God, who is our Father. He is the Father of lights, the good, grace-giving God. He is the one from whom every good and every perfect gift comes. He doesn't change. You don't have to wonder what's on the other side of that door with God. He gives grace. He gives mercy. In fact, James says this in verse 18. He says, Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. What does that mean? It means that he saved us. And don't forget that. That in the middle of temptation, James says, Remember that this is the God who saved you. Turn from that thing that is tempting you and pulling you in. And turn to the one, the God who has saved you. We have to recognize temptation for what it is and what it isn't. We have to take responsibility for it. We have to recognize how it works and where it leads. And lastly and most importantly, we have to remember who our God is.